Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sam Bean Podcast, where we talk about life uncensored. All right, here we go. Today on the show, we have my friend Dustin that I grew up with. Our show is sponsored by Dash Health and Wellness. If you're interested in losing weight and figuring out why you're not losing weight, contact Alicia Munden on Facebook and Instagram and her husband Justin. They specialize in weight loss and personal coaching, health coaching. So Dash Health and Wellness, thank you. Our show is also sponsored by Van Zant Coffee, the best tasting fresh roasted coffee around. Buy Van Zant Coffee at VanZantCoffee.com. I'm super excited for today's show. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening. County Ranch Bar. Dustin, thanks for being back, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I don't know this is obviously your first time on the podcast, but we grew up together in Canton, and uh, we've been good friends for the last 20 years, probably, somewhere in there. Yeah, right about. And uh, came back in, flew back in for the holidays, and you've been getting the ranch tour for the last four hours. And now we were in the bar, we're kind of winding down. We thought we'd record a podcast and talk about a lot of different things. So thanks for being here. You look great. Thanks for coming down and spending time with us. Man, thanks for having me. Awesome spot. Love the uh, love the land. Love the uh, hunting blinds. Love the Lost Coyote Bar. Some great brisket today. ENS Barbecue. Give them a shout out on Highway 19. And what's the road? 24 Tw- is it 1256 1256 farmer <coughs> market road 1256 the road that goes to Purtis Creek State Park ENS barbecue is it's probably the best barbecue around here yeah hands down delicious I've been out of the state too long man and so coming back getting some fresh meats some good uh, homemade barbecue so sauce en- Enrique uses cellophane he wraps it in cellophane the brisket well I'll take that back. I asked him about it the other day. He smokes it for 15 hours, and then he wraps it in cellophane to keep the juices in, and he just keeps it in a warming bin, so it, like, keeps the juices in there. And whenever they cut it, they pull it out, and it's wrapped in plastic, and they cut through the plastic, and it just spills out. So it stays moist, and, I mean, the dude dude knows what he's doing, because it's it's damn good. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, it's great. Now, what's your favorite barbecue <coughs> spot besides? Oh man, that's a that's a good one. I love uh, Cooper's Barbecue down in Lano. Yeah. Back in the day, um, about the time you and I met up, I don't know. Fort Hood. Yeah, fourteen, fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. I was working on helicopters, and we would fly down to Lano, down to the airport, and get a crew car, drive over to Cooper's Barbecue, try to do it in the morning before they're sold out, mm-hmm. get some brisket, and then, you know, of course, we've had about 1,200, 1,400 calories just loaded up on two, three sandwiches. 
and then fly back to Fort Hood, you know, falling asleep. But, oh, what a time. All right, so I went there when I was a kid. My dad had a – was on a deer lease. And my friend Travis Norman, his dad, John Earl, was on a deer lease down in Lano. And we would stop by there, and you'd go – and you they'd, they'd open up the smoker, and you would pick whatever cut of meat you wanted. Yeah. And it was always these, these pork chops were, like, two inches thick. So I would usually get those, and, you know, you get a – it was like Rudy's barbecue, but you actually got to pick the meat off the grill. You got a big stack of white bread and then a bunch of pickles, and they had their sauce. It's just a great spot. Yeah. You got to love the butcher paper. Butcher the, paper. The white yeah. bread, the jalapenos, onions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good time. I like, I started to like, I never put a jalapenos on my barbecue brisket until recently with the ENS. So I like pickles. I actually didn't have them tonight, but pickles and, and jalapenos usually go. With the brisket and the spicy barbecue sauce, I've gotten to lo- where I like my barbecue spicy now. I've always eaten it that way. the uh, The old man always had peppers growing, so sitting as like a kid at like twelve years old, you know, dad would have like a like a raw jalapeno or like a cayenne pepper mm-hmm. as like a side, almost like a side dish. Like he would munch on it between like eating. And, of course, like every kid, you know, you want to be like the old man. Mm-hmm. So you're like 10, 12, you're like, let me get one of those, you know. Did you see that as like a manly thing? Yeah, of like course. You know, like, oh, I can handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Did he, uh, was they just, were they cut and they fresh or they, was there any type of cooking beforehand no, on these peppers? Like pull it off the plant. Damn. That's a, he- that's a yeah. hot. Uh, so I'm 12, you know, I'm eating a pork chop. Mom yeah. just made it. Crunching on a cayenne. Like, um, Good gosh. Yeah, so spicy has always run in the family, you know. Luckily, no ulcers at, you know, my yeah. prepubescent age. But <laughs> Well, what about the next morning? Oh, man, I, th- I think I've got like an iron gut. <laughs> iron fort- something else, iron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, extremely fortunate. So you like, you know, have you had barbecue like in the Virginia and North Carolina and stuff like that where it's more mustard-based? <sighs> So, you know, Carolina barbecue is all pulled pork. Mm-hmm. And in Texas, a, a beef state, you just don't, you know, it's it's good. People just don't waste their time with it too much. Not like they do up there, you know. They're they're well, like they are in Texas about brisket in Carolina that they're pork butt. Yeah. yeah. And you know, th- pork butts are cheap down here. I mean, I usually get them when when I see briskets are 60, 70 bucks. I'll say, well, that pork butt's thirteen dollars. It looks just as damn good, and I'll make that, and it's it's also really good. It's not as good as a brisket, though. Oh no, and the the sauce, you know, that's the real thing. Mm-hmm. Up there, it's vinegar based. Yeah, vinegar. So yeah, mustard. Not looking. my not my jam. Yeah, yeah. It's good, but it's not. I, it's I not like the that. red. Yeah. Spicy tomato based, good yeah. Texas sauce. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, man. My favorite barbecue spot besides ENS is in Austin on Barton Springs, a place called uh, Terry Black's. Okay. It's Black's Barbecue. Of course, there's that family is divided up into they have multiple Black's Barbecue, but it's all different. This is Terry Black's, and man, the brisket is like melting your mouth, mm. and the sides are great. Um, there's always a line, and apparently they. You know, I was listening on Joe Rogan's podcast. He was talking about it. He lives there now, but he said they make all their own smokers and stuff. And 
but it's just it's just it's my favorite barbecue spot in Texas. It's on Barton Springs in Austin. Yeah. My second favorite is ENS Barbecue out here in Walton, <laughs> right by my house. Yeah. I'm a big fan. You know, Cooper's is cool. You go outside, like they have the like we we're talking the, mm-hmm. the pitmasters. I think Lockhart Barbecue, you know, is just phenomenal. Like big juicy slaps of brisket, so good. I haven't been there. James McMurtry lives in Lockhart. Yeah. Um, I need to try that. Did y'all go down there on a trip recently? You and your girlfriend? Yeah, yeah. We um we went down there. We did Fredericksburg, mm-hmm. Green, kind of the tour tour de Tejas. So had a good time. I went to we went to Fredericksburg and L- Lukenbach about a year ago, and went to Enchanted Rock State Park. Yeah. And you have to have a if you don't know you can't just go you can't just drive up on it you have to reserve a spot because yep. it's so packed because it's by Austin. But my friend Book Farrell said that there's a cave in there that not many people know about and they don't advertise it because it they're tired of like getting like fishing people out of it. <laughs> so me and a few friends went down there. Uh, Dan Morrow's whole family, me and George and Ashley, and um, we found this cave. Bug sent me, dropped a pin on Google Maps, and we found the cave entrance. This ain't like, this is just, this unknown stuff. We, f- we crawl in there, and this cave is about, it's probably about 400, probably 400 feet long. I mean, it's long, and there's like little, you have to have a light, you have to have a headlamp, and you're crawling through this cave, and there's little arrows going this way and that way and stuff. And George and me and Dan went through, and he thought it was the best thing ever. And it was kind of technical at some spot. We got to the end, and George was like, let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so we went back, and this time all the girls did it with us, and Ashley's very claustrophobic, so she didn't like it at all. She got a little scared and didn't like just the walls so close and at one point I looked up and I see this huge centipede like <laughs> like Indiana Jones style oh. I just didn't say anything to anybody because <laughs> I was I was thinking I was going to see this big rattlesnake in there but yeah there's a whole cave system in it Channon Rock that's not if you ask a park ranger they won't tell you because of liability but I can tell you how to get in it it's just an awesome thing to do yeah when we were out there um, did like a little family vacation we booked the airbnb mom my brothers they came down and we ended up just walking up in shannon rock but i had no idea is the cave does it go like through the mountain like is it a through and through so if you get up on top it's down to the back right so if you walk up the main deal if you go to the back right side where there's kind of some some vegetation yeah like a draw yeah you get into it in there and uh yeah it's not really marked at all nice no, you know, people don't know about it. Next time. And uh, but Lukenbach's cool, man. We did do Lukenbach, yeah. Um, and was there any bands playing when you were there? You know, it was middle of the day. They, I think they have somebody playing there. You know, about mm-hmm. every day, twenty hours a day. You know, every day. There was a guy who's just up there with an acoustic, just strumming some old old songs, and people are sitting out. Um, it was during COVID, so it wasn't the full you know the full regalia yeah but but it was uh it was good it was great um yeah COVID's a weird deal but you know the the founder of Luke and Boggs named Hondo yeah which is one of the reasons Hondo sidekick the the, my coffee's named that and uh 
you know, Jerry Jeff Walker songs talking about Hondo, him and Hondo and this and that. That's why I named it that. Even though the the coffee's from Honduras and that's by design, Hondo, Honduras. But um, you know, I wanted that Texas theme in the Van Zant coffee and that's one of the reasons I named stuff like that. So Yeah, it's awesome. I so didn't a little I didn't statue know that. of Hondo at there at the mill at the post office there in Nukumba. Prolific goat farmer. Yeah, like, yeah. The, like the the largest, uh, biggest you know name in goat farming in that in that time. Bought Luke and bought. He you know he, he bought, bought it. He yeah. bought it. Yeah, he bought the town. Yeah, no, I mean I love that place. It's, it's a co- cool little bar, you know. I was there. We were there. There was a band playing. They were really good. But you know it's crowded. It was before COVID. Yeah. What do you think about Fredericksburg? Oh, you know, it's the last stat I checked, so if there's any fact checkers out there, you know, you might prove me wrong. But the last stat I checked was that it's, the you know, it has been the number two uh, fastest growing wine region in the United States, only only behind Napa, um, which is really cool. Um, oh. But, you know, what I, and I've been to both, Mm-hmm. And what I love about Fredericksburg versus Napa are the people. You know, in, in Napa, you go to a, a winery or vineyard, and do you have an appointment? And they almost treat you like, uh, even though you're a paying customer, like a second-class citizen, because it's so commercialized, and it's just how many times can we turn over the tasting room to get money? Whereas in Fredericksburg, you know, you have Texas people, Hill Country people mm-hmm. uh, invite you in, and it's more. It feels more like kind of like coming to the Lost County Ranch. Like, welcome to my home. Uh, I hope that you enjoy it as much as I do, and that's yeah. what that's what I love about going down there. So Napa, they treat you like shit. <laughs> <laughs> in Fred in Fredericksburg, they treat you like family. Yeah, and you know uh, that's a good that's a good uh, yeah <laughs> advertisement. This was during COVID as well, and you know. TABC is trying to shut down people's, you know, ability to, to kind of during that time, you know, it mm-hmm. was it was two months in. COVID happened kind of in March or whatever. This was in May or June. I don't know. I think it was Fourth July. It was right around Fourth July. Um, so TABC is ca- really cracking down regulations. They don't. They're taking licenses and things. And so this one guy was like, "Hey, um, you can't enjoy the wine on the property, but you can." Uh, or here at the tasting room, but you can enjoy it on the property. We loaded up in his Polaris Ranger with a couple bottles of wine. He had picnic tables down by this creek, beautiful, picturesque, hill country view. And he just set us up. Here's my cell phone, my Bluetooth speaker. You guys play music, enjoy yourself. You know, that would never happen in California. And Dude, it's just that's, that's great. Yeah, it was great. It was a great trip, man. Great trip. Awesome. What's your favorite wine? I love a good Bordeaux. Honestly, that's how for the for the peasants out there. Tell us what a Bordeaux is. Well, it's a French wine. Uh, French wines are named for the region which they're grown, and so the Bordeaux region of France. It could be it's it's always a blend of mm-hmm. whatever grapes grow best are best in that soil. Um, and I prefer a a, a Bordeaux. Um, 
I think the French have done it the longest. They've got it down the best. And mm-hmm. I got to go visit there um, and just really fell in love with the place. You know, And the people there, um, although it was France, uh, were much like the people in Texas. You made an appointment because they were giving you their undivided attention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, welcome to our home. Welcome to our vineyard. We hope that you enjoy the wine. If you buy a bottle, great. Um, if you don't, we're just happy to for you to be a part of it. You know, mm-hmm. very cool experience. But yeah, I would say that's probably the favorite. It's a that's a red wine Bordeaux. Yeah, they do have red and white Bordeaux, but it's yeah. from the, the Bordeaux region of France or France. Yeah. But typically the reds. Most of them are reds. How about you? It, uh, Cabernets. Just because I don't know a lot, but I always like a Cabernet. Um, I've got, you know, uh, I started out kind of didn't like wine a lot and then got into drinking like 14 hands Cabernet and then I got on that fit vine wine cause it's very low and, uh, s- nitrates and bad stuff or whatever. And, uh, I like it. Um, sometimes, you know, I get tired of beer and I just, you know, drink wine for a little while. Yeah. Um, but Cabernet is my favorite, my favorite. Um, and you know, you eat with steak. Oh yeah, I have, a, fr- I have a friend, uh, Mike Suarez and Bess. They own Come and Take It, which sells wine and beer. And they said, always pair your wine. It's like a boxing match, like a heavyweight wine with a heavyweight meal, a really light, dainty wine with a little light, dainty snack or whatever dessert or something so always have like a an, uh, a uh, an opponent worthy with your wine and your meal when you pair them together that's a great way to put it yeah yeah it was i never heard that before yeah yeah I'm, i mean it's 2020 i'm pretty non-discriminatory when it comes to alcohol, alcohol yeah. but <laughs> how much how much alcohol have you drank this year <laughs> uh compared to like a different year Oh man, uh, is that appropriate? <laughs> uh, I would say that you say what you want to say. I mean. During during uh, especially that, so where I live, um, I live in Virginia. They're, you know, they really locked it down mm-hmm. in the middle. Like what people feel like is locked down right now in Texas, like it, or at least around here, from what I've seen, is not locked down at all. C- you know, compared to a lot of the rest of the country. Um, but, you know, during, during the initial part of it, so like a a month into COVID, I, uh, bought a boat because I knew that there would just be zero recreation otherwise. So bought a boat and, uh, I would say that just being on the water constantly in the sun, you know, your liquid intake goes up. And a lot of times that was, uh, alcoholic beverages. (laughs) A little bit higher than than normal. What kind of boat did you get? Tell me, as a skeeter. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> no man. I bought uh, bought a twenty eight foot little cabin cruiser. So um, you talking about wood? No sides or no. It? So it sleeps four underneath. It's got okay, like okay cabin meaning it has a yeah it has a cabin. So okay, we could comfortably put about eight eight folks on it, and uh, it's got two beds down below, a little stove and fridge microwave and uh like super cool spent many nights on it 
during during the summer, you know, anchored up, just sleeping on the boat. Just right? middle of the lake, put the anchor down. Yeah, or would you go into a cove? Well, it's a it was a river, so the river system runs all the way to the ocean, um, and uh, so yeah, we just roll up in a little cove or you know wherever, drop the anchor, and have a little grill for it. It has a stove inside, like kind of like an RV on the water. Has a toilet and everything. Yeah, toilet, shower. So like a, a little water RV, man. It's the best way to kind of describe it. You still have that thing? Oh yeah. Does on the a, a boat toilet, does it release into the water? Not not ours. Uh, we pump it out because we're in fresh water and we're near land. But yeah. like, um, if you had a, an offshore, you know, a big old rig. Yeah. Um, I think you know, twelve miles offshore, I believe, puts you in international waters and. Those have a macerator, so it's essentially like a garbage disposal that yeah. shoots it off. Grinds the those turds up and then <laughs> shoots them out to sea. <laughs> chums the water. Yeah. Chums it, and then a big blue whale comes and just yeah. engulfs it. Put the lines out. Man, that's cool. Oh, it was awesome. Like, it was the greatest. Uh, if I sold the thing and took a 90% loss on it, it was worth every penny. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. That's kind of how I feel with my RV, man. I love RVing. You know, and here's the thing with RVing. This is what you can guarantee. It's going to leak. I don't care if it's a million dollar, two million dollar Prevost or Prevo bus, like a tour bus. Yeah. Those things are two million dollars. It's mo. It's a house that's moving down the sh- down the highway. It's going to move. It's going to get a leak, like rain. It's going to. So there's always going to be something to fix on it. It's just like owning a house, really. There's always little projects and little leaks and stuff you have to fix. But the ability, the freedom, and that's, of course, that's how they sell RVs, too. They say, man, imagine the, the good weekends you'll have with this thing, your family. You know, you're out there. You get a fire outside. You get your cold beer. You get your radio on. The awning's out. And whenever you're ready to leave, you just pack up and just drive on, you know. We've got we've used our motor home a lot, and we've gone to some special places, and uh, God, I love it. You know, and everybody's dream, my dream is like one day, you know, kind of halfway retire and like, just that's my house. Like I just go from place to place. Yeah. Live there. You know, when it gets cold, I go somewhere where it's warm. When it gets warm, I go somewhere where it's cool. You know, snowbird style. That's you know, that's a lot of people do that. Yeah, they do. I've, I've thought about the RV thing. I think I'm going to do something similar um, kind of when I'm done with the current career and, and move on, take some time off and do the boat thing. Um, yeah. Talked and researched pretty extensively, like, what it takes to live on a sailboat. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of YouTube people that do it and watch their channels and then I don't really want to become a videographer or anything like that in order to make it but um think I can do it uh and just enjoy life go where the wind blows you you know quite literally okay so you're out on your sailboat around the Bahamas somewhere sure okay probably start off in the Caribbean yeah you got some turquoise water you're looking at a seahorse all of a sudden here comes a little boat speeding up some pirates on it what do you do I mean, I would be carrying. I'd blast them. Yeah. Yeah. Blast them all. Yeah. I Just mean. kill them. I would. Because, you know, they're probably going to come up, sir, you know, we, you have, we need some food and some water. They're going to play you at first. 
just to try to get onto your boat. Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to know, you know, pirates aren't cruising around on, like, nice boats. Yeah. I mean, they're pirates for a reason. If life, you know, was that good, they would just not be pirates. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, yeah, I think you're going to know pretty readily, like, this looks like a bad band of brothers coming this way, you know, like, let's... Or if they have a peg leg or maybe a hook for a hand. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a dead also a dead giveaway, yeah. <laughs> Wait, uh, are you guys pirates? <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's it, not too concerned about it, man. You know, a lot of yeah. people do it. A lot, a lot of people just, like, live on live aboard boats and I'm trying to. F- I'm just trying to figure out what's the worst that can happen. All right, pirates take over your boat. Second thing. Squall, like big ass storm, yeah, just wipes you out. That's probably the thing that makes me the most nervous, right? Because so, how do you monitor storm progression so you're not caught with your pants down somewhere? Yeah, I mean, you have weather radar. Luckily, technology is, I mean, constantly improving. What you know, I watch a lot of documentaries on these people that lived aboard boats maybe you know 30, 40 years ago, pre pre internet, man. People were doing this way back you know yeah um and navigating from the stars i mean we have so much technology uh the thing is is that a sailboat just doesn't move fast Mm -hmm. so you know season but but the the ocean has pretty seasonal weather patterns which is a plus you can be a little bit uh predictive in it um but they won't you can't get boat insurance in the caribbean during hurricane season unless you're below 14 and a half degrees latitude so everyone sails south below 14 and a half degrees latitude outside the hurricane track and it's called the hurricane hole a lot of people so grenada sits at 14 degrees latitude so people go and they just drop anchor and hole up during hurricane season in grenada aruba bonaire curacao all like off the coast of venezuela all those places are outside the hurricane track. So you can maintain your boat insurance, stay out of the storm path, whatever. Wow. But is Grenada nice? Yeah. Aruba? At least the Obviously. the YouTube stuff that I've uh, yeah. watched, you know, it seems cool, man. They're they're having a good time. A lot of boats down there, people from all over the world, you know, just riding it out. That's so interesting. As opposed to just hanging out here, ranching. Well, so I'm like I actually have a boat chartered um, to go and like give this whole thing a shot end of January. So going out on a catamaran for a week and sailing and doing a sailing vacation. A buddy of mine owns like a forty-three foot catamaran and he's living on it. So he's there. Is there a cabin on this thing and everything? Yeah, it's a four bedroom, uh, three bath. Um, wow. Yeah, it's not. It's a it's a big nice boat. Um, so s- me and some friends were going down there. We're going to sail around right now because COVID, we can't do the British Virgin Islands because of like quarantine requirements, but we can do the U.S., so St. Thomas, St. Croix, St. John. So we're going to do that, and that's going to give me kind of an idea. If I want to go that route and then the alternate route, I'm just going to take like five-plus years off and just travel the world um, doing like a month-to-month at like Airbnbs because the Airbnb rate for like what you get it for a week mm-hmm. is – like over cut in half if you do it for a full month stay so just place to place man and you can live you know really uh 
cheap budget to be overseas without a job, you know, um, it's very doable. Like you yeah. go stay off the coast of France for a month for twelve hundred bucks, you know, and that's one bedroom apartment with a kitchen, whatever, right there on the water, whatever. It's cool. Wow. So that's I've got some ties at St. Thomas, the uh, CrossFit gym there. I got a a girl I know that was a part-time coach at our gym, Crystal McReynolds. She goes to St. Thomas all the time. And um, yeah, man, that's that's awesome. I have found myself looking at sailboats on Craigslist. Yeah. Use sailboat, you know, just have no clue. Only time I've been sailing is in Boy Scouts, the small boat selling merit badge. Those little, like, <laughs> it's a seat for two people on yeah. this little sailing sail dinghy. Yeah. Little dinghy. That's cool, man. Yeah, I think it'll be neat, man. I'd, it'd be nice to just be out there and, you know, go where the wind blows you. Hell yeah. Write some music. Sure. What's your favorite thing to do, like, when you to relax? <sighs> Man. Because um, you, you, you have a pretty stressful job. I can't say what it is. And I'm being 100% sincere when I'm saying this. You have to take time to decompress. How do you do it? What's, what's, re what's relaxing to you? Um, well, most recently, I enjoy getting out on the boat, um, the boat that I have. Mm -hmm. um, I also play guitar. Uh, I probably play 30 minutes or so every day. And it's not to try to get better or master something. Like, mm -hmm. there's a song that I like, and I want to learn how to play it and sing it, and I'll just work on that. And uh, I think during that time, you know, you just kind of zone out. I mean, you can relate with music. Like, yeah. you kind of, everything else kind of falls away and you just listen. Um, also, my coffee time, not not to shameless plug for my buddy's, you know, coffee company, Vans and Coffee. By all means, do it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do, like, I my coffee time in, in the morning is like a, is preparation um, for the day. I usually you know, have a cup of, uh, of Hondo and, yeah. and, uh, look at the stock market, read any, you know, big news with anything that I have or I'm looking at. Um, I might turn on like a podcast or audio book, listen for a little bit. And mm -hmm. it's usually, it's my personal kind of quiet time in the morning. Um, or if, if, um, the lady's awake, uh, which a lot of times she is, uh, she's awake, then that's our time to kind of catch up and, and talk about just what's going on and mm -hmm. spend some time in the morning. And then the evening is usually a half-hour guitar, or, you know, good dinner, and have a hot tub, sometimes slip in the old hot tub. Dip the toe, toe in jacuzzi, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Dip the toe in the jacuzzi. What's, what's he saying? Anyway, Jim Jack Black, Tenacious D song. But to, I, I mean, the relaxation, you know, everybody, you know, if you have kids or um, whatever your job is or whatever you do, just sitting in traffic. I mean, everyone has stress, man. And everybody has a, a way to, has to have a way to decompress, you know. Yeah. I think um, for those longer stints, you know, you 
you go, 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 and I'm sure you can relate, and then you just have to, like, take, you know, a day or multiple days. It's not just a half hour here or there. And uh, usually that's, like, adventure, you know, some type of adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, I I need to get back on my music thing. Here, lately I've been doing this podcast, which is taking the place of that, which is good. This is so relaxed. Like, I'm so relaxed right now. Like, I don't even know if you understand, but I'm leaned back. I got my beer. I'm just in this conversation deep and thinking. This is relaxing to me. The songs you hear at the beginning of the podcast, I created those songs on my computer. It was just something new to me, creating a digital song with a drum machine and all that stuff. Um, but I'm trying to learn right now. This is what I'd love to do is learn. And uh, I'm most relaxed when I have a bunch of things going on. Like It's, like it's comfortable for me because I'm used to that so many years. I've had so many things going on. When I don't have anything going on, I start to get anxious. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I can relate to that a little bit. I I think I felt that a little bit during Corona. Yeah. You know, shut down from work for a while, and then, you know, you just kind of start focusing on things around the house. You get everything around the house done, and you're like, well, this or that. or, And the mind starts to just kind of turn over a little bit more, whereas if you have all those things that you're actively pursuing at one time, you know, you can mm-hmm. really stay engaged, like top of your game. Yeah. So what what song, what's your song right now? You say you're talking about, you know, learn a song. What's the last song that you've learned on the guitar that you like to play right now? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'd say right now, um, Coulter Wall, Kate McCannon. It's a murder ballad, but... <laughs> Uh, a guy from Canada, he sings a bunch of kind of storytelling um, Old West songs. What's the song about? Uh, it's about a uh, about a girl, a guy. They meet, fall in love. They're obviously from the holler. You know, he mm-hmm. met her through her dad in the mine. He so worked in, in the West, mine. West Virginia? Or? Yeah, West Virginia, Kentucky, somewhere mm-hmm. like that, you know. Um one of the lines in the song, the prettiest girl in the whole damn holler. That ain't no lie, you know. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he comes home from the mine. He had saved up his money to buy her a ring and everything. He comes home from the mine. She wasn't there. So he went down to the holler where they met mm-hmm. and found her there with someone else. And the song ends with uh, just a few words. And it's, uh, I put three rounds into Kate McCannon. The song is, but it's a great song. It's got he's got just a really good voice, man. I, I like Coulter Wall a lot. Before that, it was definitely like Tyler Childers when we were up in Vale, mm-hmm. you know, before kind of uh, people only really knew the Feathered Indian song, no one really knew many of his other songs. And that guy, that cover guy, was playing all the songs when we were up there. Mm-hmm. That the time that we also spent like three hours hanging out with Steve Ranzizi, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'd forgotten about that, but that yeah, that was fun. Yeah, and Ari Shafir. Yeah, yeah, and his girlfriend. Yeah. Um, I remember we went skiing. And it was a blizzard. It was whiteout conditions. Yeah, our I face was covered. I remember because you refused to buy goggles. You had sunglasses on the whole time. 
<laughs> refuse to buy goggles. I mean, if you buy ski goggles, you only go skiing once every couple of years. Yeah. Like, what am I going to use those goggles for? Yeah. Plus, my face is so like stone, man. Like, you can't even hurt this thing. <laughs> you can't hurt this face. I, that was, uh, you know, th- that was one of the top. I've I've been fortunate enough to ski all over the country and in other countries. And that was one of my top three ski trips. Um, Definitely mine. I mean, for sure. We, we were in 12, 18 inches of fresh powder in the back yeah. bowls and veil. Just running through that dry, cushy powder, man. And me and you together, not to sound weird, but we're no fear. You know, we're not, I don't, I don't have, we don't have kids there. We don't have like wives or girlfriends there. So, we're just go. We're just going full send yeah, off these things, sending it like we like we're professional <laughs> skiers, which we had really no business doing that. But yeah, we just no regard for safety or anything. Like we were going for the max experience. So that was probably my one of my favorite. I had another experience like that in in Big Sky. But the fresh powder, I've never experienced anything like that in my life, and then just going on these uncharted things and just going off very challenging uh ski runs yeah it it was exhilarating those back bowls man it's a choose your own ending dvd you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) the normal person would would have had a two blown achilles you know like a blown like (laughs) meniscus you know like acl laying there beside you but uh no we did it and we i drank drank a lot of stella (laughs) we did out of those the gold in those, cups. In those yeah. gold pimp Stella glasses. <laughs> the pimp cups, yeah. Oh, that was a good time, man. And uh, the old, uh, and and then that bar that was near the condo or whatever, the Grateful Dead bar. Yep. Um, man, what a good time. That was fun. Yeah, we just walked, we walked a lot of places. Yeah. It was totally by happenstance, too, because I happened to be there for work, and I was like, which, mm-hmm. what friend do I have that I could be like, hey, you want to fly to denver in two days you know and uh you're like i'm in (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. it was good i'm glad i did i'm glad i did what's your favorite adventure um besides what you do for a living but we can't get into that let's no i you know man so i'll start by saying i think adventure is necessary at least you know and not to speak for everyone, I definitely can't speak for women. One, I'm I'm not one, and two, I, I didn't grow up with sisters. But I think for men, um, especially men, you know that like us, uh, adventure is necessary. Like you have to have it. Um, there's something that drives you. It's inside you, and if you don't go out and find it in one way, then you will compensate and you will find it in another way that's probably less healthy. You know, mm-hmm. I think most people that have either like a drug or alcohol problem or infidelity problem or whatever, they're seeking adventure, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I definitely know that I have to, I have to tame that beast. But, I, you know, I love, I love being on the water, whether it's my boat, kayak, mm-hmm. canoe, um, a tube. I love backpacking. Um, recently I got a taste for like outdoor rock climbing with a a friend and we went out and outside Boulder and we climbed like a 700 foot, you know, face and 
repelled off the backside. You know, cool. just something to. I like skydiving. You know, yeah, scuba diving. You know, I was I was super fortunate. My mom is like a, you know, she has kind of a crazy story, but she kind of sparked that. Um, she she grew up in the country, mm-hmm. and then spent. Um, basically spent her 20s like right after college uh living a covered life in europe smuggling bibles into communists like eastern european countries at the time the berlin wall was still up my mom who is a i mean you've seen her she's a (laughs) she's a small lady she's smuggling bibles into romania and crossing through border checkpoints and um you could be killed, you know, at mm-hmm. that time for that. And uh, she's always been, like, a really adventurous person and kind of, like, where I got that drive. But um, every time, you know, growing up camping or anything like that, like, I was kind of an autonomous kid. I'd just leave and go hit trails, you know, and mm-hmm. go out on my bike or be gone all day on my four-wheeler. And, you know, I just, I like being out there, doing that stuff, man, being outside. How about you? What about what about your dad? So, <coughs> dad uh, was definitely the, uh, I, I would say I got the adventurous spirit from mom. Mm-hmm. I got the work ethic from dad. Um, he just got after it all the time, you know. And Had the construction company. Yeah. You know, he, he was kind of a self-built, self-made guy. Mm-hmm. Um started off doing construction and had like his own framing crew and then slowly transitioned that and pushed that forward to becoming you know his own custom became a custom builder um which is kind of where we wound up in canton um and he was building houses and doing great work and you know i worked for him my entire life um both as his son around the house uh but then a completely separate relationship as like an employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't, summers, I didn't want to go to a babysitter. So I'm like five, I go to the babysitter like the first day, whatever. And uh, he comes back from work, he picks me up and it's like, hey, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to work with you. It's like, man, you can't come to work. I work on a construction site. It's Texas heat. It's 110. Like, no. I was like, well, I was outside all day today. Yeah, I'll come to work. So I go to work with him, and man, I remember. You know, you think about the construction crew, like a rough and tumble kind of group of folks. Yeah, and I go to work for him, and uh, I always was fascinated with airplanes. So I start taking scraps, and he gave me a little nail pouch and a hammer, and I start building these uh, airplanes out of scrap wood mm-hmm. for him to sit on at lunch and have it. You know, have his lunch, and so. My dad's sitting on a concrete slab. You know, the frame is up around him. He's sitting on this uh, wooden airplane mm-hmm. with wings. And I'm like, Dad, you know, your lunchbox goes here. Your thermos goes here. He's sitting there. And, you know, he's just talking about the craftsmanship of it. Man, I love yeah. the way you did the wings on this one. And he'd get a new airplane every day. So after, like, three years of building airplanes, I'm like, hey, um, what do you – I'd watched every Friday 
my dad would do the timesheets, make a checkout to all his employees. So I'm like, how do I get one of those? <laughs> He's like, one of what? I'm like, one of those checks. He goes, well, those are for people that help build the house. You build airplanes. I don't get paid to build airplanes. get paid to build a house. I was like, well, let me, let me build a house then. He goes, all right. Um, that was Friday. He goes, on Monday, I'll give you a job interview. I'm eight years old at this time. So I had spent three summers at building airplanes. He's like, you tell me what you can do to help build a house, and um, I'll give you a job. So Monday rolls around, <coughs> and I he waits for me to come to him, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, Dad, uh, what? I figured it out. Like, I know what I can do. He's like, all right, what are your, what are your skills, you know? Like, well, I've been hammering these nails for three summers. Uh, so I'll build all the walls, you know, hammer and nails. I'll build all the walls. He's like, well, buddy, these guys are a lot faster. They use nail guns and you're not big enough to use a nail gun. So I like head down. I'm like, I guess I got to go figure this out. What else can I do? He's, he says, but there is something else you're good at. You're good at finding all this scrap wood. He goes, you, f- you find all the sc- best scraps. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. You know, mm-hmm. sure. And, uh, so he said, well, how about you just start picking up the scraps and make a pile on every side of the house for me? Keep everything clean and over here by my sawhorses. Keep that cleaned up, and um, and I'll pay you to do that. I go, okay, awesome. He goes, all right, you got a job. He goes, you're not even going to ask me how much you get paid. I was like, well, how much do I get paid? He goes, I'll pay you a dollar an hour. Okay. So Friday comes around. He does all the timesheets. I'm eight years old. And he calls me over. He's like, hey, Dustin, come here. And he calls me over. And he goes, uh, here's your check for 40 hours of work. And, you know, he could have pulled 40 bucks out of his pocket and, like, you know, explained math to me. A dollar an hour, 40 hours work, 40 bucks. But he wrote, he knew that the check meant something. So mm-hmm. he wrote me a company check. And so that Friday, I stood in line with my dad behind you know, 10 construction workers all cash in their checks at his bank with my $40 check. They all go out to the truck. You know, they're it's beer 30 for them. <laughs> you know, they're, they're trying to get they've, – they've got an 18-pack of Bud Ice yeah. to get on, you know. <laughs> and, just uh, ripping cigs. Yeah, they're just standing around the truck yeah. ripping on some Winstons. And uh, so my dad, we get up to the teller, and she's like, uh, can I help you? You know, I'm an 8-year-old kid white t-shirt on probably filthy some jean shorts you know yeah and uh she's like what can we help you with I said, well um buddy do you want to cash it you want to save it or do a little of both and i was like you know half and half it's like well i guess we need to talk to an account manager and open up a checking and savings so at eight years old i went and opened up my first checking savings and i cashed i got twenty dollars in cash 20 or 10 bucks in checking 10 bucks in savings at eight so then i worked for my dad till i was till summer after my senior year um and uh, among a bunch of other jobs that i did for farmers and stuff but um i don't think i'd like to think my dad was brilliant in that moment um and he was like teaching a lesson but i think he was just doing life you know i don't I don't know if, if he knew the impact it would have, you know. So then up to 18, I worked for him. And, you know, I was like the only 
seventeen year old kid making you know twenty three bucks an hour you know in two thousand three mm-hmm. uh framing houses because I had at that time almost ten years experience you know but a very a very cool life lesson taught you you know where a dollar comes from you still have those same checking and savings accounts <laughs> no i I closed out the closed uh, out. first national bank yeah. of Texas. <laughs> Uh, I had to go with something that was a little more nationwide. When you're, when you're a framer in a house, it's so important that you measure everything the same exact way every time. And everybody on the crew measures the same way. And what I mean by that is you have a board, two by four, and you want to make it, you know, ten foot tall. Where do you line up the line when you're measuring with a tape measure or whatever you're measuring with? Where do you draw the line with a pencil? On this side of the line or that side of the line or right d- directly down the line? Where do you cut it with the saw? Yeah. Like all these things are very important because by the time you get finished with a house, it could be, you could be off a foot. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's so much, so much attention to detail in framing. You know? <laughs> What's your method? <laughs> Man, um, so like the the mark that you make, like the little arrowhead, it's called like a crow's foot, you know, and you, you go to whatever the specific measurement is, make the crow's foot, and the tip of that crow's foot is that line, and then usually cut right down the line. You know, you don't leave the line on either side. Your right. saw blade erases the line. Um, and then I, w- I would say like, you know, in the f- building of a house, probably one of the most crucial parts um, you know, the walls go up, and then before you put your ceiling joists up, you level everything. And you put bracing in to hold everything in square. And if that, <coughs> you know, if that isn't right, everything else, because your, your joists sit on top of your walls, and then your rafters tie to your joists, everything else will be out. Um, so, that, those... I guess there's a lot of analogies that can be drawn from the foundational (laughs) principles of house building, (laughs) you know, not to go too far down that hole, but yeah, um, it is important, man. And luckily I'm one of those guys that doesn't have to call somebody every time, you know, you have a light switch that doesn't work. Uh, But, but even more importantly, you know, work ethic, it's probably, probably one of the number one, things that determine success or not uh, whether or not it doesn't matter how talented you are how intelligent you are um, if someone cannot work you you know y- you cannot become anything on talent alone those all help you uh, but you have to work mm-hmm. you know you have to put those talents to work or you know you you'll never be anything uh so that w- those were just awesome life lessons, man. Learn from, you know, Kenny and the Bud Ice Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I don't know the last time. I don't know if I've ever had a Bud Ice. I've always seen them. They always had cool cans, like really <laughs> redneck cans. Um, so George just handed me twenty dollars bill. Murphy's, Murphy's, uh, barking. He said he wants two eight hundred Robux. Hold on. 
So he handed me twenty dollars. He wants me to buy him some Robux for the game, Roblox. I'm just curious how George got that twenty. That's probably Christmas money. Is that Christmas money, George? Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. But might, might have worn it at the rodeo. <laughs> Bust the Bronx. Yeah. <laughs> he's just busting. He's just punching cows. All right, buddy. That's it. You're all set. Thanks. Your dad passed away a couple of years ago. How many years has it been? Uh, it was, uh, I guess it's been two and a half years. Uh, yeah. Yeah, about two and a half years. Years ago. I went to the funeral and you gave a really good eulogy and your dad's tough, man. I mean, it was tough for you. Probably one of the hardest things you ever done. You know, um, I think a lot, a lot of people. You know, I, I have no, I haven't really, you know, you know, go around. What'd you think of the eulogy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but definitely, uh, I, I would say in my life, there's been several um, things that a person can be proud to do. Like I've been fortunate to have several moments in you know life and career and family that I'm like I'm very proud of that thing, but I don't think that I've ever been more proud uh, to do anything in my life than to tell about 250 300 people that I think were at the funeral about my dad, mm-hmm. you know, um, so that's kind of the approach I took was like, man, these people are here for him. And I'm the guy that gets to give that first-hand account of, like, what kind of dude he was, what kind of family we had, how fortunate, you know, the 61 years that he spent on the earth that, you know, at the time, I think I was 33 when he passed away. But how fortunate I was to have him for 33 years, you know. Um, So that's kind of the approach I took. And that, I think, took a lot of the... Uh, pain away from it like dude I, I'm the guy that gets to do this how lucky how lucky am I you know yeah that's good I gave a eulogy at uh, Shane Hudson's funeral my did you my best friend that passed away yeah my best friend from high school you know um, yeah funerals are tough man obviously so what kind of leaders I mean you're in the service, maybe. Um, what do you teach you about leadership on the job site? So, so one big thing I would say I took away from him was uh, separating work uh, and home, which kind of difficult to do. That he's my dad, mm-hmm. you know. I called him dad at work, um, but I could do something wrong on a job site. And, you know, at 6 o'clock at night when the whole family, as we did, you know, at least five nights a week, sat down around the dinner table and had dinner together that my mom cooked in the house, um, that was never a topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, we never, ever rehashed anything that happened at work at the table. Um, So I think that was a a big takeaway. When we were at work, we had a work relationship and at home we had a 
he was dad and I was son, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the, but, you know, a ton of other, growing up here, like in a rural community, there's so many leadership lessons learned every day. Like, um, I worked for a long time. I worked in agriculture as well, um, like farming watermelons and uh, hay and peas, tomatoes, onions. I worked for the Knowles. And uh, I'll never forget, um, I went out, we went out to go pull like 80 acres of watermelons outside Tyler. And it was like a two-week job. I was staying in like a hotel with uh, Bobby Knowles. And um, he went and recruited some like uh, kind of cut-rate labor (laughs) from from downtown Dallas near the farmer's market. He's like, I'll put you up and pay you. You know, okay. And here I am. I I was 14, 15 years old. We go out to the watermelon field, and he taught me, you know, you drive the tractor down this road, you pull the watermelons, put them here, they go in the trailer, you drive the trailer up to the semi, load it in the semi. You do that five times, that loads one semi, we need to load two a day. So we did it for a day, and he drove the tractor, and I'm pitching melons all day, you know, for about seven fifty an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, another thing, I think that, you know, having a strong lumbar has really benefited me. In life, uh, I don't have back problems, I think, because of those watermelon days, but uh, digress. So these these guys, you know, day two, it's a two-week job. Day two, he's like, hey, I've I've got things to do, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you know. Uh, So I'm looking around, and, and literally the majority of the people that are employed at this point are temporary homeless people labor yeah you know and he's like you just run the tractor and keep these boys in line i am every bit of you know 108 pounds 15 years old and here i am surrounded by a bunch of homeless dudes you know and uh so what do you do you know how do you how do you get these people to work for you that are working hourly to work for a 15 year old and get the job done in an appropriate amount of time when the boss isn't there. Like, how do you do that? So I was like, man, I bet none of these guys have ever got their turn on the tractor. You know, one of the leadership lessons is mm-hmm. everybody gets a turn on the tractor. So I, I bring them in. I was like, hey, here's the deal. You know, these dudes have probably been up spending their cash from the day before on butt ices <laughs> and hookers or whatever <laughs> down at the cut rate motel and uh <laughs> they're all uh some of the stories man i was exposed to some stuff from those guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah it wasn't just that santa claus isn't real it was a lot of different things though. yeah and santa claus isn't real and syphilis is type yeah. deal. <laughs> <laughs> so i was like hey they were rotating positions every half hour. Everybody's going to get a turn on the tractor. And they were like, yes. <laughs> Heck yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. All day, son. Let's yeah. get it. Yeah. And, you know, we loaded it up. And we did that for the next 13 days. We loaded 100,000 pounds a day. Me and, like, 12, 13 homeless dudes. <laughs> he had work. He had something to do every day. <laughs> you know, I think he was buying yeah. stuff at pawn shops probably, you know. Yeah. Just, just perusing. Just, like, yeah. yeah. They're getting, it's getting done. <laughs> 
So, so that was it. Wasn't his first time. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, it was good. I was I was happy to get you know that opportunity, and now twenty years later, you look back on it and you realize a lot of the way that you view the world and leadership it comes from those really early experiences. So, yeah, thankful for it. That's funny. That's a good story, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I worked. You know, but did my first job, my first real job, for somebody else. Of course, I picked up trash for my dad at the Free State Storage. Uh, cleaned out storage buildings. But uh, I worked for David and Donna Harmon down at First Monday, when from a young age, like junior high, younger than junior high. And my first job, I sold, I sold Wigglewood dinosaurs, <laughs> <laughs> which is a, a dinosaur toy that moved. And I was a kid, and I'd pull them through the arbors. You see these big arbors down there? We were right in the breezeway of the arbor. We had a little kiosk. I guarantee I sold 100,000 <laughs> freaking Wigglewood dinosaurs. And I came up with a whole sales pitch. How it moved, how they were sturdy. They were well-made. Like, I would stand on top of them. See, like, see, you can't break them. You know, this whole thing. And they also sold, as seen on TV stuff like uh, one of was called like a little little sandwich maker it's like a, it's a piece of round plastic that you cut it use the bottom of it to cut out a piece of bread you put the round piece of bread on top you put some uh goober which is like half peanut butter half jelly in top and you fold it over it had a little flap you fold it over and it made like this little pouch little sandwich and i did that and i would like you know and it was just like a state fair type thing Almost like you would have almost like a, you know, a microphone on, <laughs> but it, you know, we didn't have microphones, but I, I would make those sandwiches. And, uh, then he, he had a friend named Rod that had a, just a straight toy store. He put me off on him at one point and I worked for Rod and he had like water weenies and like <laughs> toys that would swim in these pools and stuff. But I really learned, I learned how to make change there. I learned how to sell stuff. Yeah, and it really helped me from then on. And then I really shined on Sundays when we would have to break everything down. You know, I'd help load the trailer and everything, and we would stay late. And on Saturday night, every Saturday night out at their ranch, they had a ranch out at, uh, on twenty nine oh nine by the Bridge Farmers' house. They'd have a party out there. You know, they had a big Christmas party, and so I'd go out there and get to hang out with like the workers. You know, and I'm you know I'm young and I'm. 12 or whatever but I was hanging out with all my co-workers <laughs> so I had like a real job you know yeah. growing up and then there's one point where my brother started parking cars and we have an RV park still Dean RV park there by the Civic Center and he started parking cars there for first Monday and then I started parking cars with my brother and we did that up until he went to college and then eventually I went to college and now we're doing that till this day uh, so every first Monday I'm down there parking cars with Luke, me and my brother. Yeah. We still do that. <laughs> um, and then in the summertime, so I'd work for Henry Lewis, uh, Todd Harrell and I were, we, I had a hay hauling crew and, uh, we ha hauled all the square bells for 50 cents a bell. And I had like John Tarver, Matt Sherwood, Todd, uh, and a couple other guys every once in a while would work with me and I'd hire them and. I'd pay them all and go in there and get paid by Henry. And then Todd and I were part of it. This didn't, this didn't last very long, but we were 
his weed eating crew. We'd go around to all of his properties and we'd eat everything. And um, that's work. That was terrible. <laughs> I mean, it was. It was you know minimum wage, probably less than minimum wage. I remember it was like four. It's four twenty-five an hour, <laughs> and uh, it was that was hard work. They were running the old weed eater. It's not fun. Not a fun gig all day long, and um, yeah, those good jobs early on. Early on jobs and you know grade school or whatever really kind of mold you, kind of what you want to do, what you don't want to do. It gets you used to talking to people too. Yeah, you know, like selling the wiggle worm. Wigglewood dinosaur. Wigglewood dinosaur, you know, like having to make that pitch over and over and get a lot of no's. Get a lot of no's, yeah. Mark, you know, Mark Cuban talks about that, going as a door-to-door salesman. Mm-hmm. And and one of his greatest business lessons was being able to take no over and over again and go to the next door and the next door until you get the, the yes, you know. You have to get to the no. No is better than maybe because maybe's you waste a bunch more time on. Yeah. A bunch more energy. It's better just to get that no. You can move on to the next yes. So, like, yeah. imagine if you only got maybes. <laughs> they all turn out to be no's. Oh, yeah. That screws you out of all the yeses. So, yeah, that's one thing with sales. You got to take those. You got to get those no's. Just I get them all the time. And, man, when I ran for Congress, I went door to door. Of course, I had this data for like the Republicans live. So I was in the Republican primary, and that's you know one of my biggest losses is losing that thing. But you know, going around, people would slam the door in my face. Some people would gripe me out, cuss me out. Some people would invite me in and write me a check. Yeah, like, don't like in Dallas, White Rock, which is in, strangely in our district. I'd go in there, be an old man. He said, "Come on in." And I'd go in his house, like some nice house, probably a million dollar house sit down he's just talking to me he writes me a check for a hundred bucks or two hundred or five hundred you know yeah and or like an old lady who might invite me in or people you know most people would just not do anything most people's not home you know set a flyer on their their door but every time they knock on the door your heart starts to race and you hit hit them with the pitch you know and um I was thinking, I was like, man, maybe I should load up a backpack with Van Zandt coffee and go around and just do this. <laughs> just sell coffee all day. I mean, I'd probably make way more money than I do now. Get my exercise in, you know, <laughs> walk from door to door. There's got to be there's got to be a rule against, there's probably not a law against that. You're probably able to do it. Um, yeah, I think unless they have, like, the no soliciting sticker. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, people sell, like, vacuums and encyclopedias or they used to or whatever. Yeah. Whatever pyramid type scheme they can sell but it's yeah it's just the you know I talked about the state fair earlier you know you go to ever go to the state fair yeah oh yeah when you go in those pavilions and those people are selling that stuff like the hot tubs and like <laughs> the knives and everything yeah they got the microphones on it's like a that's the trenches of sales right there like oh, those yeah. guys can sell anything oh yeah or you go to one of those Dallas car dealerships, you know, and it's just like 86 salesmen out there waiting on somebody to come <laughs> on the lot. As soon as you drive on the lot, they're sprinting over to you. Sir, sir, you know. Smelling like Stetson cologne. Yeah, you know. <laughs> How do you, what's the best way to sell a car? Well, you got to figure out, you know, you guys buying today or not, you know. Yeah. It's like you got to figure out, trying to get to the where, if they're just looking or if they're serious about buying something today, you know. It's, man, 
Cell sucks, but it's <laughs> it's necessary. Oh man! At the same time, though, like it's a, like you said, your heart gets racing and like it's exhilarating. It is. You make that cell. That's like boom, home run. It's yeah. like hitting a home run in a baseball field. Something I never did. I never hit a home run. Like I, you know, I don't know if I've ever, you know, obviously hit one, a fake one, like in a pickup game, but never hit one in Little League, never hit one in Senior Midget, never hit one in high school. I played one year of high school baseball. I just don't think I was that good. I I got glasses when I was in high school, but before that I didn't have, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see the ball. So I think that's why, one of the reasons I didn't like baseball is I could never could hit really well. Yeah, I, I played Little League, man. And <clears throat> I just didn't really – I liked it. Don't get me wrong. I still like baseball, but I was never – I've actually, if I'm really honest, I've never been great at anything. Like, and I, I kind of like – I think I live my life that way. Like, I, I'm a dabbler. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, pr- I'm decent enough that I can go out with anybody at anything they do and not be concerned like that I'm going to embarrass myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people, they kind of devote their life to, like, one thing. You know, yeah. like, I want to be world-class at running or I want to be a world-class chef or whatever, you name it. And that's, like, their thing. Mm-hmm. I think I w- want to be world-class at experiences, like if that makes <laughs> sense. No, man, I, I get it. Like, I, yeah, I can't, any one thing is too boring to me. Like, I got to dabble. I got to I gotta yeah. do it all. Yeah, it's it's that, for those people, maybe it's that one thing is so appetizing, so appealing. That's all they want to do is that one thing. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I admire it, yeah. you know, because... Obviously, not Special, every specialized. Every, not every day is fun of becoming great at that thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just a little lazy and I don't care about being great at it. I just want to like enjoy it. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a there's a point in in snow skiing where it's terror because you don't know you fall down every second. There's a point to where you can go ski blues with ease. You can ski a Every once in a while, ski a black diamond, and that's when it becomes enjoyable. When there's literally, you can take any route down the mountain that you want. Yeah, and no, hey, it'll be fine. It'll be okay. Yeah, but up until there, there's some terror. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. Right. Oh shit! I got, this is not a green. It's a blue. Oh my god! I'm gonna break my leg. Yeah. And then it's black. Oh no! I can't never do it. Black diamond. So, like, you're just good enough skier, so you can go down any r- run you want to go on and have a good time. Yeah. So that might be where you're at. It's like, okay, I can do all these different things, and I want to do these things to where they're enjoyable. I want to take the terror out of them. Yeah. But other than that, I don't care, because if I do specialize in this, I'll have terror and everything else. Yeah. I like to operate at that intermediate to advanced level <laughs> of everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get it. I get it, man. That's cool. So, 
since you've been home, what's the what's the best time you've had since you've been home for Christmas? Well, I was just in Breckenridge for a week. I took a week week up there and went skiing and hanging out and did some ice fishing. I've never been ice fishing. I haven't. Oh, it was cool, man. George would love it. Um, it's like a totally different experience, you know. But uh, we caught some salmon, some trout, cooked them up that night. It was all. It was great. But I think being back, you know, in uh, in Canton, uh, the best is probably. I come here to see family, you know. Like I do love this town. It has such a a, a really sentimental meaning to me because I grew up here and I love what it stands for I love the people here mm-hmm. um, but I come back to see family so I was last night over at my brother's house he had like a fire he's got like a little uh, piece of property out there he just built a house and we just hung out around the fire and listened to music and had a couple cold ones and that that's probably the best time that I mean of course we had Christmas I've got a new mm-hmm. a new niece she's a year old and you know a little baby in the house just like everybody it's it kind of like uh sparks the flame for everybody you know things are just right. a little bit more Christmassy with like a little mm-hmm. a little kid around so that's been fun but yeah leave out in a few days and head back to Virginia and yeah good good trip though awesome what else man We've really talked to talk, you said it all. Talked the gamut. Um, um, I just want to thank you, man, just for being a good friend. Always, you know, anytime you're coming down, you talk, you send me a message. Hey, I'm coming down. Can we hang out? You know, it's always really relaxing to me, and I really respect you totally. And um, thanks for being on. And I'll have you on again next time you're down. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. And you know, every time I come to town, you know how friends that you knew in high school or whatever, like it, it everyone grows at different speeds. And uh, it's just, it's always just a a breath of fresh air. Get to hang out with you. Get to hear what's new in your life. Get to experience it a little bit. Hang out at the Lost Coyote, or mm-hmm. you know your last house or the place before that and come to the gym and i appreciate you know you always opening up the uh the gym to veterans and mm-hmm. allowing me to work out with you and learn from you and no it's great man super super uh grateful for the friendship so thank you all right well thanks dustin all right thanks for listening guys enjoy the show um once again, sponsored by Dash Health and Wellness, Alicia Munnan, Justin Munnan. They specialize in weight loss, training, and coaching, and they're online. Find them on Instagram and Facebook, Alicia Munden. Uh, also sponsored by Van Zandt Coffee. You guys have a good night, and we'll see you later. Bye-bye.